Here we go. Again. Initiating sequence. Welcome. We have quite a few apologetic arguments to go through, including positive arguments for God. We also have a lot to go through as far as logic, but as you become more familiar with logic, philosophy, apologetics, and the entire worldview, you can see how it fits. You can look for things like contradictions and problems, you can investigate it, you can answer it, you can find supporting evidence, you can find further evidence that the Bible is indeed factual and true. Once you get to this stage, what are you going to do with that? Well, the first thing is that you can see for yourself at that deep level that you have that intellectual consistency, and that means that your faith will just skyrocket because you're no longer believing because of an emotional appeal or even an experience, not saying that they're invalid, but just adding that intellectual level really brings up your faith. So that's first of all. Of course, we start to interact with other people because although the West was built on Christianity and the principles, the fact remains that we're becoming increasingly secular. So it's all about perceptions and perspectives. This could be an amazing gold mine. You have unlimited opportunities to share this because you're not limited to the one person who doesn't believe. You've got the majority of people in many, many situations that simply do not believe in God. And the very thought just sounds irrational because they haven't really been exposed to this kind of material. So that gives us also a burden to bear in that we should share it. There's a saying, grow where you're planted. And what that means is that wherever you are, you've got enough that you can go out and make a difference. (laughs) But that being said, I think it's very important that you're quite well equipped. So I'd encourage you that if you're studying apologetics and theology, keep studying it. If you're looking at debates and arguments to fill up the holes, trying to work out to find if Christianity is solid and look for the problems within it, make sure you do that in a just and fair way. Don't saturate yourself with constant atheist material. Basically, just slowly expose yourself to a little bit at a time and then slowly get the answers for them. A good idea is to start with online videos of some ministers and preachers that you can really trust and the same with books a short list of authors and speakers who i really value would definitely include william lane craig jp morland josh and sean mcdowell jay warner wallace greg kokel frank turek norm geisler hugh ross there are so many others and as i said this is just a short list And the best thing is each of them brings a special, unique perspective. I think William Lane Craig is just a master debater and probably the most popular philosopher. J.P. Morland has great work to do with the soul and even mental health. Greg Kokel is amazing in his tactics for communicating with people using logic and reason. 
got Frank Turek, the great popularizer, who he just is really, really good at apologetics, both in his books and in his presentations. You've got Hugh Ross, who is an astrophysicist, who brings together a lot of those complicated concepts and makes it accessible for all of us. The mathematician John Lennox, who just gives great presentations and I've been fortunate enough to be in his audience and experience firsthand his presentations, and they're amazing. Josh and Sean McDowell are pretty famous for answering questions of atheists and writing books about them. And as you go through each author, you'll see where they stand on difficult issues like Calvinism, free will, Molinism, and other things like that. And the more that you study, whether it's books or lectures, as long as you're in study mode and actually taking it in, the more you study, the more you can start to use your logic and evaluate what the speakers are saying. And once in a while, they'll have something that you disagree with. <clears throat> Maybe their view on Calvinism is different from yours. And from that perspective, then you can continue to use their material while being aware that there are some differences between the two of you. And this is super important because when a lot of people start out, they'll be like, oh, I don't want to read that guy because he's a Calvinist, or I don't want to read this guy because he believes in this. And only once you study their perspectives and you have your logical reasons and you've studied throughout, you can start to evaluate things, perhaps even change your mind, go where the truth leads. And it's a really, really great process. So returning back to the topic at hand, is how to talk to others about your faith with this new intellectual angle. A lot of people, they just have a fear of engaging. A lot of people have a fear of engaging in the first place. They're just not sure of what the other person's going to say. And to this, I would have three responses. The first one is that by studying all of this stuff, your intellectual foundations just improve dramatically. As a result, your confidence in what you believe improves and you'll be much better equipped to discuss this sort of thing. So that's number one. Number two, if it is really a thing about confidence and skills as far as social interactions, well, I have an entire podcast series built around challenging it called Personal Upgrade. It's primarily a secular podcast, but it's by a Christian presenter with expertise in the field. So the first step is understanding the intellectual requirements and understanding the arguments and philosophies and logic and reason and all of this stuff and just knowing it back to front. Become so internalized in this so that when you deliver it, it's self-expression. Second one, as I mentioned, is more about confidence and your abilities and any blocks and hang-ups that you have and the final one is techniques and tactics speaking of tactics there is an amazing book by greg kokel called tactics a game plan for discussing your christian convictions now essentially it's a book that teaches you how to maneuver comfortably and graciously when you talk about faith with others you can learn to navigate all the minefields and challenges and essentially turn the tables. Probably the main tactic that he uses is called the Columbo tactic, which is 
based on the investigator Columbo, the TV show, where he would act like some sort of bumbling idiot and ask questions like, I'm just not really getting this. Can you explain why this happened? And by making the person really unpack what they're saying, he'd be able to find holes and they would get themselves in trouble. Now you can see how this would work. If you are talking to, say, an atheist and they say that science disproves God, well, you'll be saying to them, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by science? And how does it actually disprove God? The more you study logic, philosophy, apologetics, reason, the more you'll start to see that people just throw out statements without even thinking about it. And it's incredibly powerful because when you do ask somebody, what do you mean by that? If they say something like science disproves God, then the chances are they're not actually going to be able to have a valid response. And because it's a positive claim, they have to stand by it. You don't have to refute anything. They have to defend their position. So the most common outcome and best case scenario is the fact that they will probably not be able to even defend their position. And their very best chance that they have in that situation puts them at least on the defensive. And then you'll be able to easily see the holes in their arguments. And best of all, they'll be able to see the holes in their arguments. Now, if the primary goal was just to win the arguments, make the other feel bad, then you'd stop at this step and start laughing at them. But as Christians, we actually want them to have that wonderful relationship that we have with God. So we're going to move on to the next step, which is to ask, how did you come to that conclusion? Meaning that they have to supply evidence. Now, this is kind of a follow-on from last question, but you can see the progression. So for this example, number one, the person says that science disproves God. And your response would be, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, science is the study of natural processes. God is supernatural. So how does science actually disprove God? Or how does knowing how natural laws work actually prove that there was no creator of the natural laws or to go one step further you could provide an analogy such as if you know how a bike works can you then prove that nobody made the bike and hopefully they start to realize it's an analogy for the universe that if you understand how the universe works does that prove that nobody made the universe and you can incorporate this type of questioning when you come to the how did you come to that conclusion aspect. So this is kind of a principle of Stephen Covey's seven laws. First, seek to understand and then be understood. So you understand the other person's position. But not only that, most of the time they've kind of defeated themselves in their responses because not many people actually think about this sort of thing. And only then you have your turn to go. Now, when you go, probably the best way to do it is not to be aggressive, not to laugh at them, not to put them down. We're looking to establish strong rapport with them. And in order to do that, we have to respect their position and then just offer an alternative. And a very popular way of doing that is saying, have you ever considered and then go ahead with your position? 
you might say, have you ever considered that just because you know how a bike works, it doesn't disprove that somebody actually made the bike in the first place? Have you ever considered that the more you understand about the bike, the more you understand about the creator, that the creator went through this process in order to build the bike in the first place? Have you ever considered that science actually studies effects, but it can't rule out necessarily the cause of the effect? So what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? And have you ever considered? Of course, we're doing it in a way that challenges their beliefs while still allowing them to save face. Just like in this example, science seems to actually support faith, understanding and deconstructing a computer, a bike, a car, a train, whatever you can think of. Just by understanding how these things work helps us to understand what the creator was thinking. If you've ever worked on a car and it's a new model that you're looking at that just looks different from the other ones, and you're thinking, why is this part over here and it's normally over there? Then later on you realize that they managed to squeeze the pump underneath where it should be normally and place that part on top. And you're like, well, that's actually pretty smart. When you say that's pretty smart, you're talking about the creator of the car. You're certainly not speaking to a faith that nothing made the car out of nothing or that it always existed. And now you can start to see how this plays out. This can lead to the suicide of the atheist position, again covered in Greg Kokel's brilliant book of tactics. Now to change things up a little bit, I'm going to actually have Greg Kokel on the show and he's going to talk to us a little bit about part of his ambassador model. He has an amazing ministry called SDR whose mission is to continue to equip Christians with knowledge, wisdom, and character. And the focus will be on character because you can know all of the tactics. You can understand all of the apologetics. But if you don't have that character, then everything else will fall apart. So here's Greg. Hi, I'm Greg Kokel, the founder and president of Stand to Reason, and our organization does something very particular. We train Christians to think more carefully about their convictions and then to offer a reasonable and gracious defense for classical Christianity and classical Christian values. I went over that because there's a particular detail in there that I want to focus on for a few moments that you may find helpful regardless of your own personal convictions. And that has to do with the way that we defend our convictions. Uh, even the word defend sounds a little abrasive, you know. It's circle the wagons, uh, ready, aim, fire kind of thing. And that's not my view at all. What we're trying to do at our organization is to build a certain type of person that is able to speak 
in favor of their convictions as Christians. We call that person an ambassador. And if you think for a quick moment, uh, if you were a sovereign who is choosing a certain person to represent you as an ambassador, you'd want that person to have a couple of different skills. You'd want them to know a few things, first of all, know your message and something about foreign policy, whatever. But you'd also want that person to be able to maneuver carefully and shrewdly in conversation uh, to to be able to make that knowledge palatable to other people. But there's a third quality, not just the knowledge and not just a kind of a tactical wisdom, but if it turns out your ambassador is a womanizer or a drunk or just plain rude, now you can see how the character is going to undermine the effectiveness of that ambassador to do his or her job well. And so on our, on our way of approaching it, the kind of individual we're trying to produce is somebody who has knowledge, which is what we characterize as an accurately informed mind, wisdom, which is an artful method, and character, an attractive manner. And I want to spend the rest of my time here just talking specifically about that character component. Lots of times when people think about character, they think about honesty and personal integrity and uh, doing what's right when everybody else wants you to do what's wrong and that kind of thing. And of course, I certainly value that, but that's not exactly what I have in mind when I talk about character in an ambassador. I'm talking about the way a person comports themselves, and this is especially applicable if you're involved in a persuasive enterprise which many of us are, regardless of whether it's religious or non-religious, regardless of our own individual philosophic or spiritual convictions. We find ourselves in a position where we want to persuade someone else of something important, okay? And this is where the manner that you present your ideas in can either make or break the occasion, Hopefully your ideas are good ones. Hopefully they're well defended or well substantiated. Hopefully they are also communicated in a, in a winsome and attractive manner. Now, when I think of the people I train to be good ambassadors, especially in the character area, I think of two different things. That is two different extremes that we fall into. And the way I characterize it is simply that sometimes when Christians, and you can make your own application to your own life, but when Christians engage in dialogue with other people, they are either too naughty or too nice. In other words, they're either too offensive or, in a certain sense, they're not offensive enough, and I'll clarify what I mean by that. On the one hand, sometimes when we have strong convictions about things, and we are proud of our convictions, and we are convinced that we are right, and we think everybody else should think the way we do, and by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with having convictions like that. In fact, everybody who believes anything thinks they're right about what they believe. That's what it means to believe something, to think that you're right about it. 
Okay, so there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes the force of our convictions causes us to be too forceful in conversations with other people. Okay, and we end up stepping on toes in ways that are not helpful if our goal is to persuade the other side. And so sometimes we just have to be alert that we're not too naughty. And what I mean by that is that we we don't care what anybody thinks. We're just going to roll out. And if we offend people, too bad, because we're right. Well, that's not going to do if you want to be a good ambassador, if you want to be effective at persuading people. Okay? We are not to be bullies, to put it simply. Um, In fact, the New Testament writers had something to say about this. Peter the Apostle said that we ought to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks us to give an account for the hope that's in us, but do it with gentleness and reverence. Why did he say that? Well, first of all, it's good manners. (laughs) It's virtuous. It's also good strategy, because it makes your point of view more effective, more believable. Uh, the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, said something similar. He said that if you're going to serve the Lord Jesus, then don't go out quarreling with people. It's not going to work. But rather be kind, able to be patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Notice, in neither case are they saying you should be wishy-washy about your convictions. No, they were solid about what they thought was really true, but they were careful about how they communicated it. And in a practical sense in my own life, sometimes what that means for me is I have to be willing to tell somebody that I'm discussing things with that they've got a good point. You know why? Because sometimes people who disagree with us do have good points. Why not give them credit for that? That softens the discussion. It's gracious, gracious It's uh, and generous, and, and it's probably true <laughs> if they have a good point. Sometimes I need to be able to say, you know, I could be wrong about this. Why would I say something like that? Because... I actually have been wrong a few times in the past. And even on important issues, it's, in principle, I could be mistaken. Now, I'm not making it up. I'm, in my case, I'm not socialized into my views. I have reasons for them, but I still could be mistaken. That means I'm willing to listen to the other side and do it in a polite way and let them have their say so I can consider it. So on the one hand, we shouldn't be too naughty. We shouldn't be bullies. On the other hand, sometimes we're too nice. Now, this is especially true of Christians because there is an ethic about kindness and love and grace, etc., that Jesus manifested in his own life. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's the only thing we take away. It's important, but it's not the only thing that's there. Jesus got himself killed because he said things that other people didn't like. So it wasn't all sweetness and light from Jesus. And there are times when there are things that are so important, they are so weighty, that we need to communicate them with clarity and a directness 
that people don't miss. It doesn't mean that we have to be mean and nasty. It does mean, though, that when there's a lot on the line and the issue is weighty and our reasons for our view are good ones, that we should be willing to speak directly and clearly regarding that thing and then let the chips fall where they may. A good ambassador is not committed to making people feel good all the time, especially when the thing that they end up feeling good about is not good for them. A good ambassador is someone who cares enough about his ideas and the people to whom he's speaking that he's willing to be gracious and not a bully, but he's also careful not to be so nice that they don't get the gravity of the weighty thing that they're dealing with. This is a huge problem in our culture, which I think inappropriately values a kind of niceness and agreement that they call tolerance. That is, oh, you approve of everything of everybody. Well, that's a way of playing it safe, but it's no way to have an impact. You believe in something good and right and true? The best way to communicate that is using an an ambassador model And one element of the ambassador model is character and attractive manner. Not too naughty and not too nice. I'm Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. When I asked Greg to send this to me, I was very excited because I'd actually been listening to him for a few years. And I want to credit Greg because he has influenced me a lot in the way that I think about things. So if you're looking for an additional podcast, then please consider listening to Stand to Reason. Or if you're into YouTube, we have Mr. B from Red Pen Logic, and he does amazing breakdown videos. This podcast is kind of like a non-repetitive course. So I'm trying to encapsulate logic, philosophy, apologetics, all of these things as a course-like structure while giving it in a package that is easy to digest and you can do in the minimum of time. However, once you've gone through all of these podcasts, then you have to keep saturating your mind with philosophy and reason. And I found that Greg Kokel's podcast was amazing at that because the way that he would use logic taking callers, breaking down arguments, talking about issues and using logic and reason and basically showing us how it's done. If you go through that for a period of time, for me, it took a few years, but for others, probably you can do it much quicker. You start to internalize all of the things that we're talking about here. But don't quit this podcast because this one is a baseline course and I want you here. All right, I'll see you at the next podcast. Thank you.